Welcome everyone once again to uh, Faith Missionary Baptist Church this morning. Um, assuming all hearts are free, we're going to go ahead and turn our uh, attention to uh, the scriptures at this time. And I'd like, uh, for those who would like to read along, uh, I'd like for you to turn over to the 45th division of the Psalms. Psalm 45. And um, we're going we're gonna to take our lesson, uh, our sermon from there this morning. And while everybody's finding it, uh, if you know, for the people who are using, you know, an iPad or a phone, you're cheaters. But, because but, it's hard to find some of those psalms. They're buried down in there, and it's a big, it's a big book with a lot of divisions. Um, but, uh, but I think we've got a really wonderful topic um, to bring before you this morning. And I'd like to use for a title today, Jesus' Scepter of Righteousness. Jesus' Scepter of Righteousness. And we're going to take that out of the sixth verse. But I'm going to read the first seven verses this morning for a reading. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have, which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy, of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And that's where I'd like to stop uh, with, our, with our lesson this morning, with our reading. First seven verses of Psalm 45. And uh, and once again, our title that we our topic that we would like to take is is Jesus's scepter of righteousness. We're taking that out of the sixth verse there, and and the psalmist starts out this by stating that his heart is indicting him, right? And we typically think of an indictment when we're being indicted as not a good thing, right? That means that you've gone before the court and, and a judge has presented enough evidence to say that you are potentially guilty of committing this crime. But that's not what the uh, psalmist is saying here in terms of this indictment because this indictment is regarding something good, isn't it? This is regarding something sweet. This is regarding something pleasant. This is regarding something that is to be sought after, isn't it? And uh, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ is something to seek after, isn't he? Uh, he's something that you ought to seek after. 
Uh, he said himself when he was here in the world in his ministry, Come unto me, all ye that are, la- are heavy laden, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, all you that are loaded down with the trials and the, and the tribulations and the burdens and the sorrows of this life. And as we heard in the song, uh, uh, he took the burden away. Uh, when? When I was down on my knees, when I was seeking the Lord for the salvation of my soul. But it's not a physical stance that you have to take. Uh, it's a heart work, isn't it? Salvation is of the heart, not of the lips. So many people want to take that verse out of context, and they say, "With my mouth, uh, with my mouth, uh, uh, shall I confess?" And with, for with the heart, the for, you know, for with the heart is someone, are we made righteous? Now, I just butchered that verse to all to all to death, but um, I didn't intend on using it. But uh, nevertheless, with, you know, that's what they want to say: is if you'll just repeat. If you'll just repeat this prayer, uh, if you'll just answer yes to this, uh, to these questions, maybe uh, a series of questions, then you're saved. Why? Because they say you've made a profession of faith. Folks, the, the Bible is littered with people who made a profession of faith, but they didn't have it. And I'll give you a couple of good examples. We talked about one in Sunday school this morning, King Saul. King Saul had a profession, but I don't believe for a minute that he was saved. And then, and then how about this one? Uh, after the days uh, uh, of uh, Pentecost, uh, when, the, when the church was uh, being attacked there in Jerusalem and they were scattered every direction, Philip goes up to Samaria and he's preaching the gospel in Samaria and it's joyfully received there and people feel those stinging darts from the Lord in their heart. They feel that sword piercing them to the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit and they start calling out upon the name of the Lord don't they just like the children of Seth did as we read about back in the Old Testament back in the days um, in, the, in the early days of the book of Genesis and, and so we see here uh, that uh, uh, that there was a man there who, who, who presented himself to be baptized didn't he uh, his name was Simon the sorcerer we read about him in scripture that's how he's referred to his real name was Simon Magnus um, this man did something that that's so crazy. Uh, he, having seen Peter and John, uh, and, and maybe a couple other apostles, but I believe it was Peter and John, uh, they come up uh, to Samaria to view the work that's been done by Philip. Now they've been uh, saved, they've been baptized, but he says, but but the scriptures tell us they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet or the Holy Spirit, and, and so they come up and they lay their hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Simon the sorcerer, Simon Magnus, comes up to Peter. And he says, hey, how much will it cost me to be able to do that? Anybody believe that guy saved? That would make that kind of statement? Folks, the, the salvation of the Lord is not, is not bought with, with silver and gold. Isaiah said that in the 55th chapter of Isaiah. Oh, come everyone that thirsteth, everyone that is hungry and buy bread. Without price and milk without price. Uh, the good things of God are without price, aren't they? You can't buy them on a store shelf. This is the good things that the psalmist is talking about, isn't it? Oh, my heart is indicting me in a good manner. He says, I speak of things which I've made touching the king. Now, we live in a country that's governed 
by three co-equal branches of government. But I'm a citizen of a country that has the greatest king the world has ever known. I'm a citizen of a country that has, a, 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 that is the, who its ruler is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Now, I like it when he says here, because it is in such stark contrast to what we typically hear when we think about this part of the body, right? He says, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Now, you don't usually hear the tongue spoken of in such a way, do you? The Bible, James tells us, if we go over to the third chapter of James, and I believe it's in the eighth verse, James tells us that the tongue no man can tame, that it's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And if you don't believe that, today it's also filtered down to thumbs because that's where it comes from. <laughs> People just type it out now instead of saying it. They do it online. They just type it out. The tongue is a deadly is a deadly poison. It's an un, uh, an unruly evil. And James says no man can tame it. So right here, the psalmist is saying, "My tongue is the pen of a ready writer." Folks, if no man can tame it, if what J, if what James said is true, then he's let God tame his tongue, hasn't he? And he's not just let God tame it. It's become an instrument that can be used for the righteousness of God, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? Uh, for me, that is, because so oftentimes the, t- the tongue is really our worst enemy sometimes. And, uh, and so he says, not mine, mine is the pen of a ready writer. And, and he's going to go on and he's going to start writing and talking about his king, isn't he? He's going to start talking about him. He says, Thou art fairer. Now, the scriptures tell us, I believe it was the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote of Jesus Christ that he has no form nor comeliness. Now, I think that's talking about Jesus Christ and his death when he's hanging on the cross and after he's been beaten and he's been scourged and he's had everything done to him, he was so bloodied, he was practically unrecognizable hanging on the cross. It's not that pretty version that we like to see uh, artist renderings of of him hanging there in all one piece and real clean and just, you know, he's just got some nails through his hands and his feet holding him up there. No, 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 no. He went through a lot of he went through a lot of torturous punishment before he ever got to that point. But the psalmist is saying that thou art fairer. He's brighter than all the children of men. What's brighter? What's more glorious? about him than all the children of men. 
Well, I would like to look over here for just a moment in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, and we're going to read about an instance where Jesus is going to stand up in the synagogue. Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to start here, uh, and they're going to bring Jesus the book of Isaiah, uh, and when he gets, uh, when he has delivered the book of Isaiah, he's going to start reading from the 61st chapter of the book of Isaiah. And, uh, and here's what that says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, and in the Old Testament you'll read this is actually this is actually used as good news. That's the that's the definition of the gospel, folks. It's good news. It's that. God hath come in the flesh, and he hath reconciled us to his self. That's some good news right there, because the ways of man are to say, I've got to do enough good works to try to make it to heaven. Now, now they, that's one of the things that you know that's not true, because the work that gets us to heaven is the work Jesus Christ did there on Calvary. The righteousness that gets us into heaven is the imputed righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. The Bible tells us that all of our righteousness, which is really just good works, really, uh, all of our righteousness before Him is nothing but filthy rags. So take the best thing you've ever done in your life and you lay it down at the feet of God, and it's nothing. But you take the salvation, you take the crucifixion of Christ for your justification and you present that to the Lord. And you've presented something that the that God the Father has approved of, isn't it? Isaiah wrote and he said, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? Because God never intended for any one of his creatures to be separated from him eternally. See, that's where you've got to come to the understanding of is that you're separated from God. That you really don't know God. You have to come to that realization. You have to let that sink in. And the, all the all the words that I could say can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to let you know down inside. I'll tell you right now, when he let me know, I got so sick sitting in the pulpit, I couldn't wait for Brother Moran to stop talking because I was ready for the service to end. Because I had, I, I guess I want to call it the butterflies, right? The butterfly effect in your stomach. Uh, the butterflies were just rolling in my stomach and I was like can this guy not stop talking sometime today so I can get up out of here because I'm ready to go I come back the next week think I'll be fine this time it was just last week no they were back again they wouldn't go away and they got worse at night when I'd lay down alone and I didn't have anywhere to run, and I didn't have anywhere to hide, and I had nobody to distract me, and nothing to focus on, except the fact that I didn't know the Lord. And I didn't even know it until Amy asked, until Amy looked at me, and she said, it sounds like you're lost. And I was like, what in the world is that? I'd grown up in church, and uh, and look, I know that uh, I know that they use that terminology. They use the same terminology, but I was a little kid when I went with Grandma and Grandpa, and and, and the only thing I really worried about because they were because they were old regular Baptists, 
and they only met once a month was I wonder how much food they're going to have under the tent after church lets out because we always went over to the house and ate in the front yard of the house beside us. When I was a little kid, I didn't worry about something like being saved. I just knew that when I went to church with Grandma and Grandpa, I was going to be allowed to sit in a rocking chair. That's They have rocking chairs in their sanctuary, by the way, for the older people. And so... Uh, but they always were able to secure me a rocking chair. And so I always loved going, but I didn't love going for the right reasons. I loved going for the reasons that as a child you loved going. But he's fairer. He's fairer than all the children of men. He, he says, He sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it to the minister. He sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Put yourself in that position. Couldn't you just see somebody standing up, reading a prophecy out of the book of the Old Testament, closing it, and saying, eh, that just happened. <laughs> That's accomplished. This is fulfilled today in your ears. It's fulfilled. Now listen. Listen to what it is that amazed them so much that caused them to have their eyes fixated on him. And he, began to, and he began to say unto them, This day is this, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear witness, or all bear him witness, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Folks, what does he say? He says, thou art fairer than the children of men. You know what that does? That says he's not one of the children of men, doesn't it? He's a child of God. He's the son of God. We're the children of men because we proceed forth from man. He did not. Grace is poured into thy lips. That's the thing that made them the most astonished, wouldn't it? Above the fact that he just read out of the 61st uh, chapter of Isaiah, above the fact that he just said, this day is this accomplished in your ears, above all of that, above that, it was the gracious words with which he spoke, which had the most impact. And he says, therefore hath God blessed thee forever and ever. And God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Gird, gird thy sword upon thy thigh. Now I want to say this right now. I, I believe he says, gird thy sword upon thy thigh because he's taking something that he did naturally with his sword. Oh, he put that sheath on and he put his sword right down through the side. But the sword of the Lord doesn't proceed forth from the unsheathing there on the side of his thigh. The word of God is the sword of God. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It'll let you know 
It'll fillet you, and it'll let you know that you're not a child of God. It'll let you know you've not been saved. It'll let you know that if you died today, heaven would not be your home. And it has to. That's its job, isn't it? That's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's his first job is to reprove the world of sin. And where does he do it? He does it in the hearts of people who have not believed. I say this too. He also does it in the hearts of those that's been saved. Brother Carter, that's living a backslidden life. And if they don't repent, if they don't feel any remorse for letting the Lord down, then they actually testify to a certain degree that they don't have what they profess to have. Now that's scripture, my friend. And that'll preach. That's Bible. And that'll preach because there's a lot of instances where that happened in the scriptures. You can't, you can't, you can't talk about the life and not live the life. That's the doctrine of the Pharisees, the doctrine of hypocrisy. And so he says, gird thy sword upon thy side. And the word of God, the gospel, is the sword that pierces to the dividing asunder. And then the book of Revelation, John says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Oh, most mighty. Let me rephrase that. Oh, almighty. Jesus demonstrated in his life that he was omnipotent, didn't he? He did it when they were out on the sea and and all of the uh, uh, disciples, they saw the the waves on the water, they saw the wind whipping the waves around, Uh, the storm was fierce, and Jesus... Folks, when we are in the storm, our our heads are on a swivel, isn't it? (laughs) Jesus was asleep in the middle of the storm. It didn't bother him one bit. And this, and this, this disciples go to him and they say, Lord, Lord, we're going to die and you're down here asleep. Uh, what is wrong with you? And he gets up and he says, Oh, ye of little faith. And he goes up and he just says three words, as I believe is all that's recorded. Peace, be still. And the wind stopped and the waves stopped. And it was nothing but calm. And if you want to know what it's like to be saved, there's not a better picture of it, in my opinion, in the Bible. There'll be a storm raging inside of you uh, that you can't stop, uh, and you cannot stop it until you go to the one who can stop it. Uh, you got to go to the Almighty, don't you? Because he's the only one who has the power of creation. When we read about Jesus in the New Testament, we read about what the Apostle Paul said, uh, and they both declared this same thing. Jesus to Nicodemus, he said, Thou must be born again above water and of the Spirit. I agree with that, Brother Carter. There's some who want to say even the Spirit, but I think it's both. You're not going to be born of the Spirit if you haven't been born of the water first, are you? You have to be alive. But you have to be created a new creature, don't you? In Christ Jesus, the power of creation only, re- only resides with God. 
Paul said that in the Ephesian letter we talked about last week, didn't we? Uh, that it's not that it's by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. And in verse ten, he said, "We are a new creature created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk therein." He's the omnipotent God, the Almighty. Full of glory and majesty. Now we get into the kingship, don't we? People want to talk about the book of Matthew a lot. No, the book book of Matthew says this, and the book of Matthew says that. And, And a lot of times when they're pointing out things about the book of Matthew, they're missing the point of why the book of Matthew was written. Matthew was written to prove that Jesus is the kingly Messiah that the Jews had been expecting. And and what a king he is. Of his majesty, he says, In thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. You know, that's, that's how Jesus conquered the Sadducees in the day he lived in, wasn't it? was not by the way that they lived, but he was meek and he was lowly and he was humble. And he won the hearts of uh, the people, not because of that those characteristics necessarily, but because they recognized him as God. And thy right hand shall teach us terrible things. Those are awesome things. Uh, those are amazing things. And God's righteousness is, is exactly, it'll do just that. The, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the only thing, as I've already stated, that will be sufficient. When you read in the book of Revelation and you read about the day of judgment, the day of judgment comes and uh, the books are open, right? And in those books are contained everything you've ever done. Good bad, indifferent, whatever, what have you, everything's written down. And you're judged out of those things by fire is what Paul says in the first uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and if, it, if it's a good work, it'll remain. Uh, if it's a bad work, it'll, it'll be uh, consumed and it won't count toward your reward. Uh, but you'll have a reward, uh, assuming you have some good works that are built up. But then the book of life is opened, isn't it? Then the book of life is opened. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that is, they were rejected, not because they didn't have any good works, but because they didn't have the good work. They did not have the righteousness which counts toward everlasting life. They didn't have the, they didn't have the righteousness which is a well of water springing up within them. Living water, which is actually spring water is a really good way of thinking about it. Fresh water. Water that sustains life, right? That's exactly what, they, what, what the righteousness of Christ brings. They don't have the righteousness of Christ down inside them. Uh, and these are awesome things to think about. Uh, they are, uh, and they can be frightening things if you don't know the Lord. And so uh, I believe he renders it terrible things. Uh, but uh, remember, he said that the Lord has a sword. And then he says, and thine arrows are sharp. 
We don't usually think about God using arrows. We usually associate that with the devil, right? Shooting fiery darts with which with the shield of faith we can quench the fiery darts of the devil. But God sends forth arrows just the same. Uh, We'll find in the Old Testament in some places where it's lightning that's referred to as that. Uh, Certainly in pagan theologies, uh, Zeus is always depicted of holding a lightning bolt and throwing a lightning bolt. Um, But God's much greater than that because those are fake gods, imaginary gods. This is the true and the living God. Uh, So yeah, it could be a lightning, but a lot of times those arrows that come toward us, they're slung at us for a reproof, aren't they, Brother Carter? They're to reprove us. If you don't know him, it's to get you to where you do know him. If you do know him, it's to get you back in line so that you'll I'm going to use this for lack of a better word so that you'll make your father proud. We don't really worry about that in the West very much anymore. But that's a shame. Thy throne, and we're going to close up here. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Folks, God inhabits eternity. That's where he lives. He lives in two places. He lives in eternity and he lives in the heart of those who have been saved. That's his, two, that's, his, that's his two habitations. The kingdom of God will stand when the world's on fire. I've always heard that stated. And it's so true that the kingdom of God and the word of God will stand when the world's on fire. When everything else is burned away, uh, Jesus said, My word shall not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. The kingdom of God is forever. It's forever and ever. And now he's going to mention the scepter. Now I'd like for us to think about this for a minute. What do you think of when you think of a scepter? Because our title today is Jesus' Scepter of Righteousness. What do you think of when you think of a scepter? Well, I tell you, I grew up, and this drives Amy nuts. So you're going to have to just play, you're just going to have to placate me here. I got, Brother Matthew, you're going to love this, all right? I think I've got every Looney Tunes cartoon that's ever been made. Now, you may think that the pastor is going off the rails and going Looney Tunes right now, and that may be true. (laughs) But I got every one of them, Brother Matthew. And one of my favorite ones that Bugs Bunny was ever in was the one where he goes in England to the Sheriff of Rottingham. Has anybody ever ever seen this one? It's a play off of, obviously, it's a play off of... um, um, there you go, Robin Hood. Thank you. That was we should know about Robin Hood right now because they don't let you buy and sell uh, uh, stocks for free. But uh, <laughs> but Robin Hood. Uh, so it's a playoff Robin Hood, and, and Bugs Bunny pretends to be the king, and he's all decked out in his in his purple robe, and he's got his kingly attire on, and he's standing there holding this scepter in his hand. And he looks at the Sheriff of Rottingham and Sheriff of Rottingham comes up and I never understood this because I saw the king uh, there in that same cartoon uh, but the Sheriff comes running up and he sees Bugs Bunny wearing the king's uh, robe and holding the scepter and he just falls down. I would have thought, well that looks like a rabbit. But, (laughs) But he didn't. 
And so Bugs Bunny looks at him and he asks him a question. He says, do you want two lumps or three? Uh, And so he says, well, I'll take three lumps. And so Bugs Bunny takes his scepter and he smacks him over the head with it three times. And he gets three big knots that come up on his head. uh, And he... uh, And then he takes off. He reveals that he wasn't actually the king. He was Bugs Bunny dressed up as the king, and he used the scepter to hit him in the head three times. And so I said that to to kind of illustrate this. That cartoon is a really good picture of how the Gentile kings used to use their scepters. They used to use them to wield their power and their might and their influence. And if you didn't agree with the Gentile kings, then they would beat you over the head with it until you did or you died. Jesus' scepter is a scepter of righteousness. It's not a scepter to be used lightly. And it's not a scepter. It's not a scepter that endorses the works of wickedness. We demonstrate the righteousness of God. And we wield the scepter of righteousness that Jesus holds as His children of the Father. When we do the right thing, even when it's not convenient. Especially then. Jesus was the fulfill was he in, in Jesus dwelt the fullness all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We can't imagine what that's like. One day we won't have to even try to imagine it, will we? We'll see it. We'll see him coming in the clouds and in the power of his glory and the righteousness that he stands for will deliver us for eternity. Isn't that amazing to think of? Now if you're here today and you haven't been saved, that doesn't apply to you. You've got to get you've got to know him first. You've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to you got to feel that sting and the conviction for your sins, whatever they may be. You've got to answer to God for those. Why would they bring the animals and sacrifice them? Because they had offended God. Their sins were reminded of them. My friend, you get saved, and God will put out of His memory any remembrance of of your sins. And why is that? Why is the scepter of Christ Righteousness, And he tells us in the last verse that we're going to use today, because he loves righteousness, doesn't he? Why did he reject the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the day that Christ walked on the earth? Because they didn't judge righteous judgment, did they? They didn't judge righteous judgment. Therefore God hath anointed therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness I've always looked at that judgment day scene as it's presented with the works of the flesh being judged first before the book of life is opened 
folks, no unrighteous work's going to be counted worthy of a reward, is it? Why is that? Because God hates unrighteousness, doesn't he? And he hates the wages of unrighteousness, and it's not going to profit, and it won't exist even going forward. Jesus is our king, isn't he? Jesus had has three Jesus has I almost said had Jesus has three titles. He has three titles. He is the prophet. He is priest, not just priest, he's our high priest that has entered into heaven, right? And not without blood and not with the blood of some animal by his own blood through the veil of his flesh. And he sit down at the right hand of God. And God has him highly exalted. The scepter represents his kingship, doesn't it? In his kingdom, there's only righteousness. Wickedness is not permitted. That'll be a great day, won't it? That's a, that is a land of cloudless day. We sing the song, land of cloudless day. That's a, that's a day, that, that, that's a place where the, where the sun shines all the time. There is no night and there is no sun <laughs> or moon. There's nothing that man's ever worshipped that will be there. The only thing that provides light in that place will be Christ. That's going to be an amazing place to be, isn't it? If you're here today and you don't know and you don't know the Lord and the free pardon forgiveness of sin, he sent Jesus to die so that you wouldn't have to. Now, you're going to die natural death, and we're not talking about that. We're talking about that second death, which is the spiritual death. He sent him to die so that you wouldn't have to. That's why he's called the propitiation for our sins. Right? He, he is the surety for ourselves. He's the guarantee that we have. And folks, if you're not going to take up the guarantee, then you're going to accept upon yourself the, the, the wrath. And so that's our message this morning. Let's remember who our king is. Let's remember that what his scepter represents. And as we go forth day in, day in and day out, we represent our king well. Brother Williams.